Hello, Michael. Good morning, Mr. Butler. Ah, morning. Um, what's going on? Well, I've got news. What is it? We had a YCK has now been accredited with a purple flag, which is uh, for anyone following the 24-hour economy journey in Sydney, quite a milestone because it's uh, you know the core part of the strategy, which is to introduce this concept of uh, going out districts that are pretty good, good experience, good diversity, safe lighting, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's a quite it's the first time in Australia, obviously, and now joins one of 90 locations globally um, with a flag and. There's three other pilots that we're doing across Greater Sydney in the next little while. But, you know, the first one I think is the hardest always. So much learning is coming out of it. And I was thinking about it like it, you know what it does, right? It, it's, it means that we've been engaging all the stakeholders who have an interest in a district right at the outset. So that means police have been on board as part of the process as opposed to, you know, what tends to happen, which is, you know, things start happening and then, of course, different people come in at some point and go, hang, what's going on here? Mm. Having police and other agencies and government and council on board day one, it's, um, yeah, hopefully it's, that's the recipe for success. So I'm pretty, pretty pumped about that. Yeah, nice. That's awesome. And um, how are you feeling about the general performance of New South Wales, Sydney at the moment? Yeah, look, it's, it's I think pretty content. Uh, I say that sort of very slowly because obviously everyone's position is slightly different, but depending on who you are in the sector, a reasonably good summer. You know, that's not universal, but in terms of if you start thinking about the macro and, uh, you know, issues including talent and reinvestment and things like that, it's, uh, and also how we're going to track through um, for the next 12 months, uh, I think uh, it's, I'm, I'm, I think we could be in a worse position. So I'm pretty good. We've got World Pride kicking off. Uh, and then, you know, before we know it, we'll be into Vivid, South by Southwest. So there's these kind of like uh, additional focus things for Sydney uh, mm. in the next period, which, you know, even in light of some of the economic stuff that we're, everyone's having a good hard think about, I think we're not too bad. And even some of the government spending from COVID is still like trickling through the system. We announced $4.75 million worth of grant funding. That's now open as well in the Uptown Accelerator. So, you know, it's, yeah, pretty good, all things considered. Nice. Good to hear. What about you? Oh, mates, uh, good. Really good. Still busy. Um, you know, there, there's still, you know, significant talent shortage. So there's a lot of businesses that are still still struggling. I mean, the really positive thing that we're hearing is that the casual workforce has been quite well bolstered over the last, call it two months. You know, I think, you know, chatting to a large employer within the casual workforce in Sydney a couple of weeks ago, their vacancies in that casual labour force have, you know, reduced to sort of, you know, 5% of what they were this time last year, which is, if you look at the total number of people they employ, is a really significant achievement. Um, I've been telling this story a lot, but a client of ours owns a series or a group of backpackers up the coast and, um, you know, right up the eastern seaboard. And their feedback is that they're absolutely at capacity and cannot fit another person in. So I think the foreign workers at that casual um, level are definitely back, which is really good. Um, you can just see it and you hear it on the street. So that part of the market's, I think, a lot easier than it was anyway. And that was causing a lot of stress for a lot of operators. So that's always a good thing if they've got enough access to talent who can serve their guests, obviously. Absolutely. But the senior end and, you know, culinary roles, for example, are still really difficult. And I think our focus around or our, our experience around executive level stuff at the, has, has really grown significantly over the last six weeks. Like we have more C-suite roles on than we had you know, probably across the most the majority of last year, we got more of them on at the one time than we probably did all last year because of that level had kind of been a little bit dormant. So there's positive signs across most parts of the talent market, and and you know, anecdotally, a lot of clients talking 
you know, saying good things about the revenue that they're seeing coming in and trade. So, yeah, it's um, it's looking good, I think. Exciting. Again, not everyone's in the same boat, but um, many are. So, mate, today we are speaking with Simon Gloftus. So, Simon is a restaurateur who, you know, if you're in Brisbane primarily, you know, most people will know exactly who he is. I think many people outside of Brisbane would as well, but got a, a couple of restaurants in the Carlisle Precinct, James Street Precinct in Brizzy. Restaurant Hellenica was, you know, shot to, I think it got new restaurant, best new restaurant in Queensland two weeks after it opened, which is pretty you know, fast and and good achievements. And um, he's since gone on to open SK. Uh, He has Sushi Room and Sunshine. So quite high profile um, restaurants in Brizzy doing some pretty pretty good things so thought we'd have some queensland representation he comes from a long line of well he's been in the industry for a long time um number of different restaurants and definitely worth a chat so i'm excited to hear what he has going on as am i let's get him on mate to kick off we thought we might just ask you um tell to tell us a little bit about i think yourself um personally First off, give us a bit of the backstory as to, you know, even, even back to the very early days when in your upbringing and, and then I guess forward to now as to how you got into hospitality and, and um, where you're at now, basically. I was born in um, St Albans in Melbourne, so Western Westy boy, and um, to a Greek father and a Polish mother. Like all sort of immigrants, we were, we were pretty poor and Dad started selling um, things at flea markets and then... Uh, thought, why don't I open a flea market? <laughs> and um, he opened up the Braybrook Markets in Melbourne. And um, he just sort of stayed in that industry and, and then he decided he wanted to move to Queensland. So we, I did schooling in, um, first moved to Brisbane and then to the Gold Coast. And so basically I grew up sort of on the Gold Coast and I, I, I went to school in Burley Heads. Um, I, still, I still live in Miami on the Gold Coast. I have a place in Brisbane as well where my businesses are now. But so, yeah, I, I just, just a normal, normal sort of upbringing. My first job was a uh, delivery driver, pizza chef, dishwasher, because you have to do them all back in the, in the old days at, at, a, um, at a local Italian restaurant, which I, to be honest with you, I loved. I loved it. And um, I mean, that's where I learned how to drink and smoke properly. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. But I had a lot of fun. I, I, I really enjoyed it. And I loved, um, uh, there's something that, I think my hands had a feel for food. I know it might sound a little bit weird, but I, I just sort of uh, feel like I, I, I got it and I had it. And um, then I just started taking an interest in, in cooking. And, and I, I only realised that I wanted to be in hospitality, you know, like 10 years ago. <laughs> I'd already been in it for 25 years. Um, it was just sort of something that, that started rolling. But, um, yeah, so I had a normal, normal upbringing and then it just started in hospitality by, absolutely by accident. So can you, I mean, maybe answer it, but can you define what it is that or what it was that sort of kept you coming back? Like you, 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 it sounds like you didn't make a conscious decision, particularly in the early days, to kind of get in and make a career and grow something out of it, but something kept you in there. Well, do you know what that is? I I think there's an energy um, in hospitality that if unless you've unless you've been in it and probably at different levels too, you know, from from coffee shop my coffee shop days into into restaurants. Um, Whatever, but unless you understand that, you won't you won't get it. But there's an energy that's involved, and and I I tried to get out of it. I tried to do a real estate course, and and I went I went and did the course, and I didn't. I got home and I was looking at cookbooks, and I'm like, no oh, fuck, that's not 
just a bit, you know, that's, that's not for me. Um, so I, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's got an energy about it that I love. There's something that pulls you, pulls you back. And I always knew, I suppose one thing for me is I always knew that I wanted to be in business though for myself. So no matter where it was going, my thought process was always forward, positive and, and into business. So the shitty jobs, the, the dishwashing jobs, the, you know, the wet socks at the end of the night sort of thing, it didn't bother me because my goal was always to be in business for myself. And, um, and, and luckily it sort of ended up that way. Does that come from your parents, do you think? Or maybe, I, don't I, think know, I don't know what your mother did. But... Yeah, no, I think it might. I mean, mum was a um, mum's a, a housewife. Dad has always sort of been in business, whether it was, you know, very small, like a, a, a stall at the markets, or um, now, you know, he ran a few markets and he, and he made some investments and things. So I sort of, I think dad, the DNA is in me to, to sort of have a go and to want to do it, but um, the love of food. I mean, my, my dad rung me one time and asked me how to boil pasta. So he's got no, he's got no idea, <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, mum was, a, and mum was a really good home cook, a really good home cook. Mike, I know you have a bit of an opinion on this, but it seems to have been a theme that's come up with a few people in terms of families that have sort of migrated here. And then, you know, that, that uh, entrepreneurial spirit has, has come through because people have come potentially with nothing and had to make, something out of it you know i've had a couple of examples of that right from guests that have come on and built pretty large hospitality empires i think marcello colosimo in sydney is probably an example of that i think is it neil perry's family maybe am i misremembering there i think that neil perry grew up on a property that ran down to the river and they kind of market gardened and thing on that's thing right but I, I did i don't know if how um relevant this is to you specifically or, or the history of your family um but the markets thing, like, is something I was kind of keen to uh, ask you. Like, what what's your first memory of being in a market? So we we started with trash and treasure markets, so it's a little bit different. So yeah, car boot sales, that sort of thing. So I remember being a kid going with Dad, and Dad was actually the first person in Australia to put basically a fence around it and charge people 50 cents sort of to come in and have a look. So I, um, I remember those things. I remember wheeling the the big uh, palings out to sort of, you know, <laughs> fence it up. And he made me, oh, God, I just have to clean the toilets. It's disgusting, mate. It's disgusting. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I, I remember this. And then... and then Tr- Trash or treasure? What did you find? Anyway, carry on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, mate, don't. <laughs> um, PTSD from that. No, but, but we also then... Dad was pretty clever and he realised, shit, hang on, we can, we can sort of sell some food to these guys. So... We sort of asked a few of the storeholders actually to leave, and we built our own food vans. And that was the days of those huge self-serve food, uh, self-serve food vans. So, actually, I remember when um, uh, Brisbane had the uh, the Expo '88. They came and and actually asked us and for their help to copy the ideas of you go up, you grab your burger, and then you go to the register behind you and pay. Because I don't know if you remember, but you used to ask for the burger. One person would walk away make it, come back, charge you, what have you. So we were sort of the first to um, do that self-service, pick it up and, and walk out. And so I don't know, I, 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 um, I, remember, I remember doing that. I remember my first stall at the markets, I set up a corn on the cob stall. So I was selling corn on the cob, cooked corn on the cob with butter, salt and pepper and lemonade. I remember I, only had, I could only do that for a few years because we had some changes with the market, but I, I made more money in one day than probably my school teachers were at the time all week and it was it was just a crazy i was like oh my god i'm not you know <laughs> it just sort of i don't know it, it 
it woke me up to the fact that, hang on, if I can do this out of a corner on the cob stall, maybe maybe there's a bit of a future here. I'm like a bit fascinated in this as a kind of, um, this is tangential, Luke and I always go off tangent, so apologies, but, you know, a lot of this sort of discussion um, uh, around animating and getting people back out and into cities and all this kind of stuff, which is what I obsess about, like, you know, markets are something that, like, people would want to do and will engage with. Like, it's just, you know, every every proposal that comes through, you know what we'll do? I don't know. Let me tell, let me hear. We're going to do a market. It's going to have, like, you know, these five things, live music, art, blah, blah, blah. It's just one of these kind of um, community yeah. things. That, and then, um, but but if you look at, like, you know, development across cities, at least in Sydney and others, like, we kind of eliminated that marketplace just due to the changing nature of commerce and, you know, the supermarkets coming in. And, and now it's almost like there's this, you know, kind of reminder that actually, you know what, corn on a cob with butter, salt and a coke or whatever is, is you know, what a great experience and at a, at a price point that, like, is accessible maybe, I don't know. And it, it just, um like, and just reading your story and your family's story, it, you, you know, it was just kind of an opportunity to ask you about whether mm. how much of that, I guess, has sort of shaped you know, the approach um, that you've had through, you know, the, the formation story and now into the various projects that you're involved in. It's super, super important. Now, don't get me wrong, there's different demographics, so there's different markets for different people and this sort of thing. So not everything works everywhere, but, for example, James Street in Brisbane, where we are, the guys who, the landlords here, they, um, they've they got like a like um, an upscale marketplace. It's a market. It's still a, mar- it's still a market. It's got the fruit stalls, the meat, the, the fish, you know, the flowers. They've got everything they need. It's an upscale market. We, where we started, Braybrook Markets in Melbourne was the, the lower end, but all cities, if you don't have marketplaces, you're, you're soulless. There's something that's, um, intrinsic in our, it's in our, it's in our blood, it's in our, in our DNA to, to want to go and, and shop at markets. I think, uh, especially, especially, um, people from other countries. I mean, that's, it's like a, we, we, sh- my, my family in, back in Greece, whatever, they shop at the market. There was no, shopping anywhere else so you know it's a, it's a really really important uh I'm, I'm going to say even tool to to craft an area or a suburb or a, or a feeling in a place and um i'm a big advocate for markets it's where i grew up and and uh mate i we need them that's it straight up the um i mean the corn is a far cry from where you're at now we'll, we'll, we'll start with your first restaurant and then maybe talk us through to where you are today in terms of your group. Because, I mean, for those that don't know, I'm sure that is probably very few people that would be listening to this, but you currently own and operate, you know, some of the top restaurants in Brisbane, um, if not in Australia. But what, what was what was number one? What was it? Sorry, isn't the first one? So I started with cafes. Actually, I had three beans, little beans and piccolo on the Gold Coast. They were at the time, again, sort of, um, this was, when I was 20, sort of 21, around that time I started, um, there was no, like the espresso bar was only just starting up here in, um, and that was on the Gold Coast. So we did, um, you know, really beautiful coffee. And, and um, I remember my second store I opened, <laughs> I opened up one morning. I had, a, it was just a cheap sort of one in Nobby's Beach on the Gold Coast called Little Beans. And I had a roller door because I couldn't afford the front to put the, you know, the glazing in and whatever. So I just put a roller door as the entrance. And I lifted the roller door up at 6.30 in the morning to open. And there was all these people out there. And I thought, something's happened. Like, what's what's happened? And they were all waiting to get a coffee from my shop. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so I was like, oh, shit, okay. This is, this is, like, amazing. They followed me and they all heard that I was sold the coffee shop before and opening up a new one. So 
that that was amazing. And then and then I sold the coffee shops and and went on to um, which was my baby um, and still is my baby, uh, Hellenica. So Hellenica in Nobby Beach um, was my first real restaurant, and that really, I mean, I can't overstate what that did to the Gold Coast at that time. Um, not not in a um, egotistical way, but there was no such thing as a as a restaurant that had sharing food. I brought in um, double sittings, no BYO, groups of ten or more. Um, had to do a set menu, so I'm the I'm the idiot to blame for that sort of stuff in Queensland. But but there was nothing of it. I mean, I, I used to run around to the tables because the the customers didn't know they didn't they didn't understand it. It was a Greek restaurant with share plates, <laughs> which for me sounds pretty um, straightforward, but. They didn't understand it, so I'd run around and I'd say, "Just pretend you're at a Chinese restaurant, and the food comes to the middle of the table." I'd have to explain. I would have to explain that, and we're only talking twelve and a half, thirteen years ago. Is that what the, is that what the chopsticks were for? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, but it's crazy, and and then um, Hellenica uh, Gold Coast. So that was in two thousand and ten. Three years after that, I think it was, I opened up which sort of put me on the map a little bit. Just I opened up a place called the Fish House in Burley. It was overlooking the Burley Beach, and I found a little old house, rung the landlord and did a deal and, and built this, what is still a sort of a regret that I probably should have kept it because of the way the property went. But anyway, and I built a, a seafood restaurant, and I my my goal was to, at Hellenica, fish is actually a major part of our um, menu, and we used to fly it up every day. So I wanted a restaurant that just reflected seafood. So we'd fly the best in from around Australia. And it just so happened at the time that basically every celebrity that was coming to Australia was either staying in Byron or filming something on the Gold Coast. And um, they all came and ate at the fish house. So it sort of put me on the map a little bit that way because everyone was eating there. I mean, it was, if you look at the back, I don't want to talk about, I don't talk about the celebrity, but everyone you can imagine was there. And then I sold the fish house, opened up, I had a short little stint at Star Casino. I had 19 at the Star, which was the rooftop on the Gold Coast. So me and a mate of mine, Billy Cross, he was a nightclub guy. I'm a restaurant guy. I did the restaurant. He did the uh, nightclub. It wasn't for me, to be honest with you. It just wasn't for me. The place was making money. It was fine. It wasn't a Simon Gloftus venue. I felt I felt um, under a, an umbrella of a, a company that I felt like they were in charge and it just wasn't right for me. So I just walked out of that deal actually and just sort of said guys it's not you don't want me here and then, and then that's when i um came to brisbane and and everything sort of changed from hellenica at the Calil. i mean most people now know the Calil hotel and its impact hellenica is a, a major part of that it's it's a massive restaurant 800 and so square meters plus the whole pool deck and then a couple of years after that opening up sk recently more recently uh sushi room and sunshine so um yeah, it's uh, southeast Queensland. Is is um, I've had a I've had a really good run here, and, and people have been really really supportive. And and I always say this to anyone from down south that you guys sort of wish that you had the the enthusiasm that southeast Queensland does at the moment because everything that opens here, people are genuinely excited about it, and they want they want it to work because they want places to eat. So they support you, and and um, they spend money, and they. You know, it's it's really it's it's a really amazing um, place to be at the moment, Southeast Queensland.
can you and feel free to either describe it or compare it to another uh venue just so people know but sk um how do you describe that sk is sort of the uh, for lack of a better word the big daddy of brisbane, <laughs> brisbane dining i mean we sell more caviar than anyone in queensland at sk it's i mean a guy asked me it's not it's not an expensive restaurant i mean don't get me wrong it's not cheap but it's it's a high-end steak restaurant it's classic waiters in white coats i mean i had a guy ask me to put a bottle of petrusse in his Salisbury steak. I mean, it's that restaurant where people want, if they want to, if they want to go hard, it's SK, but it's also, I specifically made that restaurant a bit fun. So it's very, it's very US style where the music, I mean, one second it could be 50 Cent and then it's mystified by In Excess, Paul Kelly into something and it just keeps rolling and it's, the music's probably a bit louder than it should be. And again, all the big names sort of tend to eat there. So that, it got on that pretty quickly, and business at SK is certainly the most solid, uh, well, consistent of my of my venues. And then sushi room, sushi room is where I eat at the moment four or five times a week. I'm just like <laughs> absolutely addicted. So I love Japanese food, and I think most people do. Brisbane is a little different. Where I had a lot of experience on the Gold Coast early, and Gold Coast is actually no um, Japanese food more than more than most cities because in the 80s japanese all came over built golf courses built hotels and put japanese restaurants in all of them um and people were familiar with proper sushi um a little bit in brisbane there was a little bit of that lacking where i think people expected to be i don't know deep fried sushi rolls with avocado and canned tuna which which it's not it's a proper sushi restaurant it's a beautiful beautiful venue sits about 45 but a sushi counter made out of Hinoki timber that we flew in from Japan. Again, that's in the in the Kalal Hotel. It's just that at, at the moment, like I said, it's um, I was just I just come back from the states actually, and and um, I was there for two weeks, and I just craved sushi room. When I came back, was the first the first meal I had was there. I think you were sitting behind me when I was sitting at that uh, kitchen bench the other night after you just returned. It's uh, it's pretty impressive. And then sunshine. Sunshine's a passion project of mine, and if it makes money one day, that'd be great. <laughs> it's, um, oh, look, it's one of those places. It's like it's busy, it's buzzing. It's a vegetarian Mediterranean. It's all counter service. You fill up your plate with beautiful stuffed tomatoes, salads, vegetables. You take it to the end of the counter. They, they take it to the end of the counter for you. Pick a drink or whatever. We weigh it and we charge you by weight. I don't think this has been done the way I've done it before, uh, the way we've done it. I, I've seen some places like delis do it by weight, but everything's a different price, whereas this is the one set price. The hard thing for me with that is I don't think the customer realises that if you cook a box of beans down into into a beautiful bean stew like we do, um, fasolakia is for the Greeks, it, it comes down to about, you know, two, probably about one-tenth of the size. So it costs us a lot of money and, and people just still won't pay the price for the veggies, but it is a passion project of mine. It's um, I eat there probably three to four times a day for lunch, and all my staff seem to eat there. We love it. It's on the opposite side of the street from on James Street on the Kalal Hotel, and uh, it's this beautiful place called Sunshine. It's all done in yellow. Um, the staff are friendly. The food's great. It's it's just I've said to I said to a few of my mates, I'm hoping I'm a vegetarian. They go, oh, you'll never see me there. And I said, oh, we'll wait and see. And once they try it, they're like, oh, it's 
stuffed tomatoes, spun a cup at moussaka, these sorts of things. They're like, oh, okay, I actually like that. I go, yeah. It's just it's food that happens to contain no meat more than it is a, a vegetarian restaurant, you know. You touched on earlier just a little bit about, I guess, uh, Brisbane and people wanting things to open and be successful. Right? And, you know, I guess there's your role in that. Other operators are maybe involved in sharing that kind of enthusiasm. Is it partly... I guess partly um, I'm thinking about the pandemic and has it been a growth opportunity ultimately for the southeast Queensland? Do you think that or or not? Like I was talking with yeah, that. no, I, I think the pandemic was a like people went two ways. They either sort of contracted or or they expanded, and we we decided to expand. We kept all our staff on. We did training. We had training, um, like crazy training. I even got the food and beverage director of the Beverly Hills Hotel. To, to talk to my management team via Zoom calls. We went to the next level sort of thing. Um, we had psychologists that we had brought in. We had um, So we went, when this reopens, we want to be perfectly set. And when it reopened, my God, in Queensland, we didn't probably feel the pain like the southern states as much, but when we reopened after that three months, it was just people wanted to spend and drink and party, and it was just on up here. It was on, you know. So, But to come back, I genuinely have been in hospitality now in Queens, southeast Queensland for about 24 years, maybe more, and um, the enthusiasm is real. And I'm telling you, I'm from Melbourne. I spend, I've been, I go to Sydney every month. You know, I'm there at least 12 times a year. The enthusiasm is nowhere near the same because maybe because it's we've got a lower base where we started, but that's okay. We're never going to be Sydney or Melbourne. We don't. We don't have the ethnicity as to, to back it up. We don't have the, the the solid family foundations that have been enrooted in the in the state for so in the cities for so long. But but um, I'm telling you, Southeast Queensland is is absolutely where I want to be at the moment. Do you like? Um, I mean, it's probably you probably answered it, but like, I guess uh, is is there a bit of a evolution? You, well, I guess well, that can, how long do you see that continuing? Is it kind of a forever story, or is it? You know, is it a bit of a cycle as we kind of, you know, because partly what, what's happened, I think, is that, you know, the work from home hybrid stuff has meant, and Luke's a good example, he's relocated to Queensland, not the only person in, you know, that did that during the pandemic. As a business city, uh, it's also had a boost as a result. And, um, you, you know, is that is it kind of like the beginning of a new wave of growth? You've got like games coming and so on. Is, there, is it like a... People used to say... Sydney sneezes and Queensland catches a cold. Those days have slightly changed now. Yeah, there's still some truth to it, but um, we're our own place. People realise now that they're not – Southeast Queensland's not, oh, let's go up there for summer, let's go up there for two weeks and go to the beach. No, no, no. I mean, the amount of times I used to hear people, oh, do you go to Dreamworld, SeaWorld? I'm like, what are you talking about? I've been there for 20 years. Oh, but I don't like surface paradise. I haven't been there for 20 years either. I mean, you know, Southeast Queensland is – a beautiful place to live. It's a beautiful place for families. It's a beautiful place for people um, that wanting a fresh start. The the weather's <laughs> the best. The, the Southeast Queensland weather's beautiful. I mean, I don't. If you live in Brisbane, you drive an hour, you're in the Sunshine Coast. You drive another hour the other way, you're in on the Gold Coast. Drive an hour and a half in Byron. I mean, I, I kept my place on the Gold Coast, and that's where I that's where I spend most of my time. And the amount of stuff I've heard about the Gold Coast over the years, it just it cracks me up. But there's now. When you when you you take a little walk from Burley Heads to sort of just south of Broadbeach, it's some of the best real estate anywhere in the country. And um, and with the weather 
and the lifestyle with it. For some people, it just suits. If you're a city guy and you're brought up in Melbourne and you love those laneways, well, we don't have that. And and so, you know, why would we want to have that? We don't – that's not our thing, you know. In the middle of winter, uh, go trying to swim at the beach and, and kill the beach. Like, you're not going to do that either, you know. It's not their thing. So it's fine. We know we've got our own identity now. We know who we are and um, and we're happy with it. It's great. It's great. Like, um, do you want to just talk a little bit more about the Kalol and like, like how it sort of that opportunity came about? You're obviously like a significant participant in it, and I guess like, is there is there stuff that comes off the back of that? Yeah. So the Kalol is basically the the brainchild of Michael and Cal Maloof, um, and and along with their their sister um Catherine and and their father as well and what have you. But but those boys are the ones that are really pushing it, and it's in a precinct called the J- the James Street precinct in Brisbane or the Kalol precinct in in James Street. It's the single best street in Brisbane, and I can sort of say that it's like a more complete version of Double Bay. For, ex- for, for just sort of to try and compare, it's smaller than Double Bay, but it's it's um it's a beautiful street. And and the guys opened up a market and then shops. So the James Street Market is that place. You know, you go you buy your high fruit, high end fruit and veg, whatever. Then there's um some fashion in the street, and then they've decided to open up the Kalal Hotel. And I mean, at the moment. I, can't think of another hotel in Australia that has even close. You can't compare it to anything. It's um, it's one of a kind. It's designed by Richard and um, Spence. Amazing, amazing designers. You know the breathe block, open open hall um, passageways. You know it's just a, the hotel's different, and it's built around this beautiful pool that you just sort of want to be at. And and to be honest with you, they might have undercooked it a little bit because everyone who stays in the hotel wants to come and eat Hellenica and sit by the pool. They thought, you know, maybe there'll be some business crowd that don't want to use the pool, but it's it's it, it's made the pool so buzzy. And the good thing about it is, it's not a hotel that's built to be cool for two days. Yeah, okay, it's the flavour of the month, and and that might subside a little bit, but it's got real foundations here, and it ain't going anywhere. And I love being a part of it. I mean, I opened Hellenica, then SK, then Sushi Room, and then Sunshine across the road. All off the back of it, the landlords are amazing. They're they're the best guys ever. They want you to succeed. When when COVID happened, they called me in the office and said, "Hey Simon, we know how important you are. Don't pay us rent until you can afford it." And I'm like, "How good's that?" I mean, how many landlords would would do that? It's like, um, you know. And guess what? The day that I reopened, even though I couldn't afford it at the time, I started paying rent because I wanted to pay back a little bit to in their trust, you know. And um, so it just works. It's the it's got a the street's got a great feeling. There's there's some really smart landlords that if you want to open up a Thai restaurant, they're like, no, hang on, we've already got one. You know, you want to open up a Greek restaurant, well, we've got one. Maybe try something different. And and they really bring in the street together. It's just a, it's a beautiful place to be and a real magnet for anyone that lives in this area. Um, if you haven't stayed at the Cal, oh, I'd recommend staying at it. Like it's. It's a pretty special place. It's very different. It's very different, and that's why I um, that's why I like it. And that's why it's so unique. And yeah, off the back of this, you know, my phone obviously now just doesn't stop, which is which is a real, you know, I take I take that in the best way, and it's a it's a great compliment. And um, to be able to sort of pick and choose what I want to do next is is really uh, it's really pretty cool. Hold up. The Khalil, it, it, it's it's a topic of conversation a lot in the worlds that you know, that especially obviously in the accommodation world that I spend a lot of time in. 
you obviously spent a lot of time in the building itself and you may again you may have answered this already i'm not uh, i'm not quite sure but there's a lot of discussion around what makes it kind of great because uh, it, it's on the surface it's pretty simple right like i mean it's beautifully designed but it, it is like it's beautifully designed but there is just something about that building that just feels exceptionally different um to any other hotel that i've probably experienced before yes have you been able to put your finger on what that is yeah some things some things just work you know some things are right this hotel was right at the right time in the right street with the right landlords who quite frankly chose the right tenant i mean I, there's days when i lo- lose money but i want to make sure the hotel guests are happy so i keep the staff levels high and these sorts of things so the wrong tenant could have torched this place but they trusted me 100 percent, and they don't they're not like they don't come to me every day and say hey what do you think about this and change this they let me do what i do and you know, I think it's that combination. And Hellenica, I mean, not for everybody, but but for, for a, a massive majority of the Sydney and Melbourne, you know, the wogs from Sydney and Melbourne, all my, all my besties. Hellenica is their, their um, I don't know, they're, they're, I, don't know what, I don't know how to put it, but it's a massive draw card. So I think the guys were a little bit shocked how many people from Melbourne, Sydney and the Gold Coast, where all my businesses were before, flock to this place just to come and sit at Hellenica and, and have the food here That now that we're closed on the coast. Um, the other thing is it sort of feels like it's in the middle of residential a little bit. It's a lot of, it's a really nice area. So it's not in the CBD, which um, I think is a really beneficial, been really beneficial for the Calil. The owners spared no expense. They could have built more rooms on it, but they went, no, you know what? We want to build that pool. That's what, we, you know, they, they spared no expense. Everyone's on board from the designers, the marketing guys, that everyone's trying to push in the same direction and you can feel it. And when someone's not, they, they last they last about two weeks because the, the pressure and the forward motion here of this hotel is, um, it's unbelievable. It's, I don't know, I don't know, you're right. Like how can it help? It shouldn't have worked like this, but it, but it has and it. And um, so we're lucky. Can I just um, double click on a particular um, thing you were talking about there? And, and you referenced landlord and the landlord relationship you enjoy and, and putting a few words into your mouth here, you're, you're talking about you maintaining staff levels because you understand the bigger picture, um, discussion on rent, pandemic, and, and you kind of paying back and so forth. Like One of the things um, I find, and I'm really having a good hard go out in Sydney, is it's so consolidated when it comes to the CBD of Sydney and its land ownings when it comes to you know the landlords. Major companies own most of the nightlife space. And one thing I observe is their lack of familiarity fundamentally with what I call cultural businesses or hospitality businesses. And you know, this kind of concept of a landlord-tenant partnership, I think is just so fundamental to uh, you know business sustainability and consumer experience fundamentally. In terms of the discussions and experiences that you have now and using your current landlord of the Khalil as an example is how much of a determining factor is it when you're looking at other opportunities it's everything if my gut if my gut doesn't feel right about the person i'm doing a deal with i'll walk away from it no matter what it is because it is absolutely if i can't pick up the phone to my landlord and say mate i need this or let's do that or what do you think about this or hey i'm short this month or whatever it might be then Mate, there's no point in me doing it. I'm not. I'm not here to um, try and change people's mentalities. Whatever. I want people in the same mentality, the same positive mentality as myself. And I just won't. I just won't do. It. I get. I get offered. Look, I didn't want to be a smart ass before, but I'll tell you. On the back of this, I get offered everything. Everything. I get offered sites that are being run 
at the moment by restaurateurs when you, you would think, oh, that person's successful in Melbourne and Sydney, big names, and I'm getting asked to take them over. So <laughs> I'm getting off at everything, and I, I've chosen to be very careful about what I do next and not just jump and um, whatever, but the landlord relationship. Landlords can shape a city and, um, okay, let's go back to Double Bay. Let's use Double Bay as an example in Sydney. Double Bay was stagnant for years and years and years because the landlords went, no, that's what rent we want. No, nah, that's all. No, nah, not doing anything. Right. Then a couple of smart guys got together, started changing, and now everyone's jumping on board. And Double Bay, in my opinion, is the probably the single best suburb for the future in, in Australia. It's a, it is ripe and perfect, um, you know, and it's started by, well, it started by a couple of land, smart landlords, but, but also Neil Perry has a lot to do with that because he brought focus there, but it's got the, it's got the hotel there, which one day, you know, something will be amazing there. And the landlord is very, very, very important, very important. And, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you, if the, if the landlord wants to, you know, if they want to be smart asses and stick to their rent or this, that, whatever, I'll tell you now that if my landlord said that they'll stick to the asking rent, they would be getting less because at SK, I'm on a, a rental percentage deal and I pay a hell of a lot more than what I would have. So these guys aren't that dumb. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I would tell these landlords to be a little bit flexible and have a crack sometimes. So they'll probably end up in a better position than they thought. Well, like uh, we may have to enlist you because like, I'm sort of on a mission with this one. Like it's, um, it, it's sort of like a, my, my assessment of it is that, People understand that there's a broken model, but don't know what the solution is. And I, I think that, or, or you know, have to kind of make a bit of a leap and, and deal with the sort of short to medium term impact on their sh- balance sheet. If you take this rent, replace it with a revenue share or whatever model you want to end up with. But it's just this kind of, and there's, I, there's give examples of landlords here that I, I put a higher value on because I, I, they're cultural investors. Actually, if you think about it, they're not they're not highest and best use um, only, and so. I don't know. Um, it's one of one of my things. I'm kind of keen to bang the drum on and sort of hopefully learn from these types of discussions and take them into shifting the market a bit because I think that's a f- sort of where we need to go. Hundred percent, mate. If everybody gives a little bit, not everybody has to give everything. You know what I mean? Like it's just simple. It's as simple as that. Just everyone gets on the same page, and and you watch these suburbs change. It's cra- it'd be crazy. I feel like I derailed that one, Luke. Where were you going with your line of questions? <laughs> well, no, you haven't. I'm going to speak about suburbs changing. Um, can you talk about uh, Noosa? Is that able to be spoken about at the moment? Because there's a lot. It's obviously where I'm speaking to you from, and um, in the community, I mean, the talk of the Carlisle opening up here is pretty, pretty loud, and I think that will have a pretty significant impact on the community in a really positive way up here. But I'm just not sure how how sort of widely you can talk about that not doesn't have to be specifics but i think it's pretty well known or confirmed that that it will be opening up here in the end of next year or there, thereabouts yeah look the guys it'll be a bit longer than that but the guys um the guys have bought a, a beautiful piece of property there in noosa and let me tell you anyone in noosa listening you've got the guy you've got the right people with the right property you know um they they're going to build it and it's going to be within fitting within the noosa theme and it's um I mean, we all we all can't wait because uh, you know we all want to be part of it as well and and be part of that growth up there. We and I think it's good say it, I suppose Noosa accommodation wise, it's a bit oh, you know where do you stay, what do you do, and um uh and then if you do find something, it's you know it could be two grand a night, and you're like, hang on a second, <laughs> you know I don't know, it's it's a it's a funny one. So I think it's um I think it's something that's needed. They've got the right people involved, and I think uh, I think Noosa will be the better for it. Absolutely. I think it'll attract it. You're right. I mean, not saying anything negative about the accommodation here, but you've really only got two resorts, like two hotels with food and beverage. The rest are all 
sort of apartment style holiday letting. So having, I just think it will attract a different level of high net worth individual to the area um, that is not necessarily being attracted by the. But you got, you, I mean, outside you, Luke, of course, you know, you're sitting there going, can't wait. Property prices going to go up. I'm already owner. I'm going to upgrade the tinny. You know, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, let me tell I, you. I literally had that conversation with someone the other day. Like it, that's the way people are looking at it. Cause you know, it, hospitality really, you look at what Coogee Pavilion did to house prices in Coogee. Like it's, it's pretty straightforward. Mate, if Noosa, if Noosa house prices go up anymore, no one in Australia will be able to afford it. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of, um, I guess, are there any things that you're doing in a proactive sense to try and attract and retain good people in your business? Like, are there any, is that something that you discuss around sort of incentives or, you know, those things on top as opposed to just a job? Um, that, you know, others may take inspiration from? Yeah, uh, like I said before, you know, there's not, look, there's only so far you can go. You can't buy them a house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a <laughs> no, house. No. But, but, but it, there is, I think tr- training is really important. And I know that's not an incentive base, but training is important because it, it shows that the talent how much, how much of that, what, what that company means to you as an owner, where it came from, its roots. I think that's more important because if they feel some pride in the venue and understand a bit of the history behind it, um, it's much harder for new venues, obviously new operators, but we find that the more they learn about the reasons why you do something, the more they understand it and go, oh, okay, I, I get it. And they, they're sort of symp- uh, sympathetic with you. And then that that passes on to the customer. And that's where, that's where you know, most things break down is that those front-facing people, God, they're so important to your business, you know. I walk in and I say hello to every single staff member and, like, some days we'll have 300 on. It's very hard to do that. It's very hard to remember that, but it's so important because if I can't say hello to them, why would they say hello to my customers, you know? That's that's where I think it's more important. I've covered all of the sort of major topics, unless there's anything else that you think is, you know, good to talk about. I don't know. Did we cover off any uh, moves south of the border from where you are? So for geographical reference, I'm asking for moves into New South Wales. Like that's just to be clear. I'm not going to say no because because I I I was born in Melbourne and I love I love Sydney. So why would I you know why say no to that now? But right now there's nothing um, nothing planned. Only conversations and I mean there's a couple of ones couple of things that I've been working on even up to five years that I've been working on some some venues and. But there's nothing, nothing in the pipeline at the moment. No lease for sign, no handshake deals, nothing. So, um, but yes, no, I'm not, I'm not against it. Absolutely. Cool. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear. Glad to hear. Well, we're going to jump into the final five. We obviously ask every um, guest these questions, so hopefully you've had a little bit of a chance to prepare, but if not, just make it up on the fly. Um, so have you got a favourite book or uh, podcast that you have enjoyed recently that you would recommend? Um, yeah, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and audio books and things like that, but I think Tillman Fatida has one. He's a big restaurateur in, um, in the States. And when I say big, I mean huge. And he's 
he's, it's very simple. It's great for, I think it's great for people wanting to go to the next level in hospitality. So I've actually forgotten the name of the book, but it's Hillman Fatita's uh, book is, is really good. Um, have you listened to Unreasonable Hospitality by any chance? No, I haven't actually. All uh, right. I might, I, I, I've been recommending it to everyone. It's a guy that um, basically took 11 Madison Park to number one in the world, Will Girada. Yeah, I, but I haven't, I haven't listened to it. Yeah, right. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, I highly recommend to anyone who wants to uh, listen to someone who is exceptional at sort of creating an amazing hospitality experience. Favorite, favorite, sorry, album or artist that you are listening to right now? So I'm going to be pretty boring here. I am like in excess. It's my favorite album of all time, and it's on. Just, I just. If my if I'm down, I put it on. If I'm up, I put it on. If I'm going for a walk, I put it on. If I'm trying to do some, I do a bit of boxing. If I do boxing, I put it on. Like it's my it's my all time. It's my all time. Yeah, no, it is a very it's good the, album. It's the granny of albums. <laughs> <laughs> <It is. laughs> okay, but I may have answered the question. Favorite drink right now? Um, no, yeah, I'm a I'm a martini and red wine guy. What's the red that you would typically go to? Uh, well. Uh, are we spending a lot of money or what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, yeah. I love, I love Brett. Brett. The French just have, there's something, you know, that terroir word, it's, there's something in the soil and it's hard to, hard to beat. I'm going to get two from you here. Favourite venue um, internationally, if you could go to any venue in the world, where would it be? And domestically, um, what would it be? I'd like to go to Annabelle's in London. I've never been to. It's a members club in, in London and it looks absolutely incredible. I've got a few friends that are members, so hopefully this uh, this summer, our winter, their summer, that'll happen for me. So what was the second question? Uh, your favourite venue in Australia right now? Uh, my favourite, well, I, I always go by restaurant because, and Flower Drum is my favourite restaurant in Australia by a long way. And then there's a big gap to um, lots of restaurants under under there, but Flower Drum's always number one for me. Yeah, nice, good answer. And finally, um, who in the industry are you most inspired by and why? Um, I'm inspired by a lot, a lot, but, and I say this a few times, he's going to think I, I'm in love with him, but um, <laughs> but Justin Hems has just done something that no one else has ever been able to do. And I'm telling you, if he was in the, if he was in the US, they would build a statue of him. What he's done, you don't underestimate what he's been able to do. It's quite incredible. His venues, I'll be honest, aren't in my top five places that I want to go to, but as a as a uh, as a leader in our industry, there's no one that's ever come close, and I would say nearly worldwide. In this, to do what he's done in Australia, in America, would be a little bit easier. In Australia, like oh my god, mate, it's like lightning has struck the what, what he's done. So he's um, he's the best. He's the best by a long way. Well, mate, thank you so much for making time. Um, hopefully people listening can get a chance if they haven't already, which would probably be fairly uncommon, especially if they're in Queensland, but get a chance to experience one of your um, one of your restaurants and look forward to seeing what happens when you hopefully open in Noosa or anything else that happens uh, for you before then. Thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate the time. Cheers, mate. Thanks. Good afternoon. Thanks, Simon.